Brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, we've now looked at the three different kinds of covenants that we find in the scriptures. Covenants of men with men, covenants of God with men, and covenants of men with God. Now I want to begin a more detailed study of God's covenants with men. And what we're going to do first is take an overview of those covenants of God and look at the Old Old Testament history, the broad sweep of Old Testament history from the viewpoint of the covenants. What we see in Old Testament history, I think, is a, a kind of cycle of apostasy and redemption that occurs over and over again. You're probably familiar with this in the book of Judges. You find the people of Israel uh, forsaking the Lord and serving idols. Uh, God sends a nation to oppress them, to uh, um, judge them for their sins. The people cry out to them, him and then he sends them a judge and a deliverer to bring them back to himself and to deliver them from the oppression. Well, this cycle that you find in the book of Judges on a small scale is the same cycle that you find in the history of God's people in the Old Testament on a very large scale. And so the, this is an, a, an attempt to a look at that um, cycle uh, in a, in a, in a large, uh, on the large scale throughout Old Testament history. If we uh, begin then with uh, creation as recorded in Genesis chapters 1 and 2, immediately after the account of creation, we find Adam and Eve falling into sin. So here's the first example of the decline into sin. But God comes in Genesis 3, the last part of that chapter, to redeem Adam and Eve from sin and to give to them his promise. I will put enmity between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent, and the seed of the woman will have the victory. But then immediately after Genesis 3, you um, have again a period of decline, which culminates in Genesis chapter 6, when God considers Uh, the wickedness of man on the earth, and says, my spirit will no longer strive with man, and he brings judgment on the earth in the great flood of Noah's day. So there is the second period of apostasy and, and God's judgment coming on the world because of that. But that flood is also his means of deliverance of Noah and his family from the wicked world of their day. So there we have the 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 second time that God brings deliverance. If you look at the chapters that follow the account of the flood in Genesis chapters 6, 7, 8, and 9, that is now looking at Genesis 10 and 11, you see another period of decline and the account of the Tower of Babel in Genesis chapter 11. So we have more apostasy then following the the flood, culminating in the Tower of Babel. But again, God brings deliverance. Part of that deliverance is, of course, in his confusing of the languages at the Tower of Babel to frustrate the purposes of those men who are building. 
But in the last half of chapter 11, immediately after the account of of the Tower of Babel, you find God calling Abraham. We're given first his genealogy in the last part of chapter 11, and then in chapter 12, verse 1, and following the call of God to Abraham in the land of Ur. And you have then the period of the patriarchs in the land of Canaan as sojourners and pilgrims there in the land. But following the period of the patriarchs, Israel returns or goes down to Egypt and is ultimately enslaved there in Egypt. So that's another period, and we find, of course, at the end of that period of Israel's slavery in Egypt that Israel has largely forgotten her God. That becomes clear in the wanderings of the wilderness later on, but we'll come back to that later. So you have this period of bondage in Egypt, and then uh, God brings them out of the land of Egypt to Mount Sinai through the wilderness, and under Joshua gives them the land of Canaan as their inheritance. Here is God's uh, deliverance of his people again. The next cycle begins then after the conquest of Canaan, and we have the whole period of the judges and the decline of Israel into the reign of King Saul and uh, the apostasy of the people during the period of judges and at the time of King Saul. But again, God brings deliverance and redemption to his people by giving them a new king, a a man after his own heart, David. And we have the continuation of the Davidic kingdom, especially in his son Solomon. So there is another period of great deliverance of God. But immediately after Solomon, in fact, even during the reign of Solomon, we have another long period of decline Uh, throughout the time of the kings of Israel and Judah, and uh, this uh, ends with the captivity of Judah in Babylon. But again, God brings deliverance to his people. After 70 years in Babylon, God brings them back from uh, Babylon and restores them to their own land and restores also the temple as his place of worship. So there we have another great deliverance. But, of course, in the history of the scriptures, that's uh, from the scriptures that's recorded uh, regarding this time after the return from Babylon, we find again apostasy in Ezra and Nehemiah and in the uh, post-exilic prophets, uh, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. And then we find also the 400 years that followed when God did not speak to his people, the period about which the scriptures are silent, in which the the Maccabees for a time reigned over Israel and so on. So we have that long period of decline. And we know something about the the apostasy of that period from the um, unbelief of the Jews at the time of our Lord Jesus Christ, the scribes and the Pharisees and, and so on. But God ends that period by sending, finally, his own son, our Lord Jesus Christ. So we have this cycle of apostasy and deliverance that uh, we can trace throughout the Old Testament. And this gives us a very broad 
perspective on Old Testament history. <clears throat> but now if we think about this history in relation to the covenants of God with men in the Old Testament, what we see is that in each of these periods of deliverance, except for one, God brings deliverance to his people by means of a covenant, or his covenant is associated with these great deliverances which he accomplished for his people. And this is a very important um, way of seeing then that the covenant is central to Old Testament history. Uh, Genesis 3 verse 15, when God speaks the promise to Adam and Eve immediately after the fall, we call that the mother promise, the mother promise of God's covenant of grace with his people. That promise that's spoken there, uh, it's, a pro it's a threat really against the serpent, but it nevertheless implies a promise to Adam and Eve that the seed of the woman will have victory over the serpent and his seed. That's a covenant of God with his people. And we'll go into more detail about that uh, next time, the Lord willing. Then after the uh, wickedness of the world prior to Noah's day, God comes and delivers his people, delivers Noah and his family by means of the flood. But in connection with that flood, we have God's covenant with Noah mentioned in Genesis chapter 6 and in Genesis chapters 8 and 9. After the Tower of Babel, God calls Abram out of Ur of the Chaldees, and he makes his covenant with Abram in Genesis chapter 15 and 17. After the deliverance from the land of Egypt, God makes his covenant with Israel at Mount Sinai, uh, the Mosaic covenant then at that time. After the long period of decline uh, through the time of the judges and into the reign of King Saul, God sets David on the throne and he makes his covenant with David. I will give you a son to sit on your throne forever. The only uh, time that we do not have a, a covenant uh, mentioned specifically is in the return then from Babylon after the captivity there. But again, we have the covenant coming into view with the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Our Lord Jesus Christ said just before his death when he was instituting the Lord's Supper, this is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. So almost all these great deliverances of God for his people in the Old Testament are associated with God's covenant. God's covenant was the means of deliverance, and it is this um, promise of the covenant which we see again and again as God comes to his people in their oppression, in their sin, and delivers them, and delivers them by means of his promise. The covenant is the uniting theme of Old Testament history. Now, there are a couple of things, I think, that we should see about that Old Testament history, about those covenants that we've just been talking about. First of all, we have the fact that there's no specific covenant mentioned in uh, the return of Judah from its captivity in Babylon. 
And I think that the reason for this is that, uh, as Hebrews 8 says, the uh, old covenant was growing old and becoming obsolete. God was already then at this time of the captivity in Babylon, not looking to um, a new covenant in the sense that he had made a new covenant with David, uh, for example, but he was looking to the future, to the covenant, uh, the new covenant with our Lord Jesus Christ and the covenant of the New Testament, because that old covenant was no longer adequate. And you can see this if you look, for example, at Jeremiah. Jeremiah is, of course, the great prophet of the uh, exile in Babylon. He was the one who prophesied of this to the kings preceding that captivity, and he was the one who lived through it himself. And he was uh, the one who uh, saw the apostasy of the people and proclaimed the judgment of God on that apostasy of the people. If you go to Jeremiah 31, verse 31, then you find Jeremiah speaking of a covenant of God, but not of a covenant of God related to the return from captivity, but instead of the covenant of the New Testament period. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they all shall know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin, I will remember no more. So God is looking forward already at the time of Jeremiah then, to the new covenant in our Lord Jesus Christ. And we find this new covenant also mentioned in Malachi chapter 3, verses 1 and following. And really, we should begin with the last verse of chapter 2, because that verse is the beginning of the section. It doesn't belong with chapter 2, but with chapter 3, really. And there in Malachi 2, verse 17, we read, You have wearied the Lord with your words. Yet you say, In what way have we wearied him? In that you say, Everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. Or where is the God of justice? So the people are committing evil, and then they ask this question, Where is the God of justice? And God answers that question in Malachi 3, verses 1 and following. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant, in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. Now the, uh, the text speaks of two messengers there, the messenger who prepares the way before him, that's John the Baptist, as we know from the New Testament, and then the messenger of the covenant, 
who is our Lord Jesus Christ. And this messenger of the covenant comes with the judgment that the people are asking about in 2 verse 17. You find that in 3 verse 2. But who can endure the day of his coming and who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver that they may offer to the Lord an offering in righteousness. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasant to the Lord, as in the days of old, as in former years. So here is again a view to that new covenant in our Lord Jesus Christ. Now there's one uh, of these covenants of the Old Testament that I want to talk a little bit more about, and that is the Mosaic Covenant at the time of Mount Sinai. In a sense, there is a double peak here at the time of, uh, of Israel's deliverance from Egypt, or a, a twofold covenant. God brings Israel out of Egypt, he takes them to Mount Sinai, and he establishes his covenant with them there, giving them the law, uh, setting up the tabernacle with all the ceremonies surrounding it, and so on and um, bringing Aaron into the priesthood. This is all typical of the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But then after Israel leaves Sinai, Israel uh, so uh, apostatizes from God and, and breaks his law in such gross ways and in so many ways that God brings his judgment on them and uh, makes them wander in the wilderness for 40 years until the whole generation that came out of Egypt is dead, except for Joshua and Caleb. And at the end of that 40 years, we find Israel in the land of Moab, on the border of the land of Canaan, ready to enter in. And before Moses dies there at that place, Moses speaks to them the book of Deuteronomy. And this book of Deuteronomy is, again, God's covenant with his people. So of that book, that speech of Moses to Israel, before they entered into the land of Canaan, we read in Deuteronomy 29, verse 1, These are the words of the covenant which the Lord commanded Moses to make with the children of Israel in the land of Moab, besides the covenant which he made with them in Horeb. So this covenant is very closely associated with the uh, covenant made at Mount Sinai, but it is in a sense a separate covenant as well, a covenant with the people before they enter the land of Canaan. And there are all sorts of things in this book of Deuteronomy, of course, which have to do with the law, but it's also... Uh, um, talking about their inheritance of the land of Canaan and what they are to do once God has given them the land. They have to set up a central sanctuary. They have to observe all the ceremonies of the law and the feast days and so on. This is all part of this um, covenant that God made with them at Deuteronomy, in Deuteronomy. 
So what we see then is this um, history of God's covenants throughout the Old Testament. As his people fall into sin, God comes to them and God makes his promises. God renews his covenant with them and God um, makes new covenants, new promises to them regarding their future. And he redeems them then from the judgment and the sin into which they had fallen. Now another thing that's very important, I think, as we look at this covenant history, and we'll be seeing this in detail as we look at each of the these Old Testament covenants in the next sessions, is that as God makes new covenants with his people throughout the Old Testament, he does not abrogate the former covenants. Those covenants continue to stand, but God adds new covenants, new promises on top of those old promises. And so in Genesis 3 verse 15, when he promises the victory of the seed of the woman over the seed of the serpent, God doesn't abrogate that promise by the new covenant that he makes with Noah at the time of the flood. That promise continues to stand throughout the whole of the Old Testament. And the same is true of God's promise to Noah that he will never again destroy the world with a flood. We are still living under that covenant of God today. We know that God is not going to destroy our world with a flood, but with fire, as Second Peter 3 says. When God made covenant with Abraham, he did not abrogate the former covenants, and nor did that covenant become abrogated as time passed. But God fulfilled that covenant instead at Mount Sinai when he met with Israel and became their God as he has promised Abraham 400 and some years before this. He made his tabernacle among them and he dwelt among them and was their God as he had told Abraham he would be. And so we, we see this, all of these covenants and all of these promises continuing. And God is, as it were then, with each of these uh, new covenants, enriching the covenants that he has already made, adding promises to the covenants he has already made, and showing to his people more and more of the glory of his covenants with them. This uh, this. Now, there is really then only one covenant of God with his people, that he will be their God and they will be his people, that he will deliver them from the consequences of the sin of Adam and Eve and from their own sins, and that he will do this in our Lord Jesus Christ. That's another uniting idea in all these covenants. They all point ultimately to our Lord Jesus Christ. So the, the seed of the woman in Genesis 3 verse 15 is Christ himself ultimately. And this idea of the seed, as we've seen before, continues throughout all the covenants. You have the seed of Noah after the flood. You have the seed of Abraham. You have the seed of David in the covenant with David and so on. This is one of the uniting themes. And ultimately this seed is our Lord Jesus Christ himself. So these covenants all are united in that idea of the seed. These covenants all are united in the promise, I will be your God and you shall be my people. And these covenants all then continue to exist throughout all of Old Testament history and even into New Testament history as we shall see as well.
This is a, a, a perspective on Old Testament history which I think uh, shows us the unity of that history and how important it is to understand that unity in order to understand God's work and in order to understand how all of the Old Testament is pointing to our Lord Jesus Christ. Remember what he said to the disciples on the road to Emmaus after his resurrection? It's recorded in Luke 24. He, he blamed them, really, for not understanding that all of the Old Testament scriptures spoke of him, of his death and his resurrection and of his work of fulfilling the covenants that God had made with his people. So that's what we want to uh, understand then as we're looking at the individual covenants of God with his people in the Old Testament in the weeks to come. May God bless our study of his word.